This episode is sponsored by the brand new Space and Beyond subscription box. Expert content from the editors of Astronomy Magazine. Go to spaceandbeyondbox.com slash giveaway. A box from beyond! Thanks to Space and Beyond Box for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to What the If. I am Philip Shane, a filmmaker of documentary documentaries. <laughs> that's it. That's real life. I'm not editing it. That's how it goes. And with me is Matt Stanley, professor at New York University. How are you, sir? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very exciting morning here. It is very exciting today. We have an interstellar comet. Some are calling it a Christmas comet. I think mostly because they like that alliteration. Yep, that's probably right. And, uh, you know, chestnuts roasting on an open fire and all that. Chestnuts freezing on a boiling comet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we've got a, that's right, our whole solar system has a guest star at the moment. Yeah, this is amazing, right? Is this only the second object that we know of ever that we've seen and we are we're knowledgeable about? That is correct. Yeah, and you can tell that right there in the name. So uh, there's a there's a group called the International Astronomical Union that's in charge of naming astronomical objects when they appear. Uh, so they've uh, the, this new one has the very exciting name of Two I Borisov. So until they come up with a cool name, it's named after the person who found it. So that's Mr. Borisov. Uh, And then 2i indicates that it is the second interstellar object ever observed by humans. And 2i, meaning it's 2 in the letter i. Although (laughs) one can Um, only hope that Mr. Borisov has two eyes. Uh, he well, he's an optical engineer, so uh, that's a tough job to do without depth perception. So oh, I would wager he does indeed have two eyes. Yeah, yeah, he's actually he's an amateur astronomer in the Crimea. Um, he just and he actually discovered this thing with a homemade telescope. Amazing! I bet you he subscribes to Astronomy Magazine or whatever the Crimean version of that is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. And how do we know how big that telescope was? Yeah, it's, uh, I think, a uh, half meter across. So um, pretty big for a backyard telescope, pretty tiny for a professional one. Half meter for us um, um, ignorant Americans is uh, it's about a foot and a half. Oh, like a foot and a half, yeah. That's pretty major, yeah. Uh, I can guarantee there's an article about that in Astronomy Magazine. Oh, yes. So check that out. This is, yeah, this is incredible. So he spotted this, and it's not just any comet. It's coming from outside the solar system, which, if you don't know, you might think, well, yeah, don't they all come from outside the solar system? But no. Ah, they do not. They do not. Right. So the, the scale of our solar system is a little different than uh, uh, we often think about. So... When you say the solar system to a random person you grab on the street before they have you arrested for doing that, uh, they'll think planets, right? There's the sun and then there's the planets um, and maybe some asteroids if they're really thinking deeply about that. Uh, But in fact, out beyond the edge of the planets, we've got all this frozen debris out there. So little chunks of rock and ice like Pluto. And then even beyond that, 
uh, what we call the Oort Cloud, named after the, the Danish astronomer Jan Oort, from which comets um, gradually fall in uh, over the years. So all the comets that human beings have seen over time are uh, have fallen out of the Oort Cloud, and they come and hang out with us in the inner solar system for a while, and then go home. And we say fall because the sun pulls everything inward. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's the, the sun's gravity that pulls these these things in. Yeah. These interstellar visitors are different because they're not coming from our Oort cloud. They're coming from Whoa. somewhere else. So- right, someplace really far, like New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. And their cloud, if they ever came from a cloud, was probably not called the Oort cloud. Uh, that's right. Yeah, it would be um, yeah the the Kles cloud or right um, the Spock cloud. Yeah, the Spock cloud. Ooh, mm-hmm. very wow. Which, by the way, leads us to today's if. <laughs> what the if? We lived on Comet Two I Borisov, so we are. Aliens, strangers, visitors, travelers, explorers. From another planet. Maybe Vulcan, maybe not. But we're, we're riding on this comet. Perhaps intentionally, perhaps not. That's a whole nother what the if. How the hell did we get on this thing? That's right. My, my, my best guess is uh, uh, that's where the aliens put their prison. So right. we're, we're convicts of some sort. Exactly. Right, it's the, the interstellar equivalent of Australia. Exactly. So, right, we are we are uh, cons. Uh, are we ex-convicts now because we're flying through space? I don't know. Another question is how did we will come back to this? How did this comet possibly get ejected from us, its own solar? So why, what's it doing coming this way? These are difficult questions. Yeah. Right. Here's the thing. What the if we were living on? Comet to I Borisov, and we just, in our long journey through interstellar space between the stars, suddenly entered this place that its residents, who we haven't met yet, we don't know anything about yet, but they call it the solar system. So we are riding in. This is gonna. This is this is actually very exciting. How? might we have been ejected? Why, for instance, the comets in, the, in our Oort cloud, which all mm-hmm. kind of fall in towards the sun, that's when we here, way down here on Earth, get to see them. Right. Are they going out too? Are some leaving? Well, so, uh, this is something that we don't understand very well. Uh, we're sure that the Oort cloud is there, and that it's full of comet-like objects. They're, generally, they're content to just hang out out there. They might be nudged by events within our solar system, say the orbit of Jupiter, right? Jupiter might be big enough to nudge some of them out, or a nearby passing star, mm. right? So mm. nearby is then in interstellar terms, but that might be enough to, to nudge them. Or maybe they bang into each other. So it's not really, it's not really clear, is the, the short answer. Passing star. I don't think most of us don't think of a star as moving. Yeah, but all the stars in the 
our galaxy are constantly moving around, right? So there's the there's the basic sense in which they're spiraling around the center of the the galaxy, right? Kind of moving um, in that spiral form, but they're also moving relative to each other too. Uh-huh. See, when you when you look at the picture of the Milky Way, for instance, or or an imagined picture of the Milky Way, and you look at pictures of other galaxies, uh, spiral galaxies, and say this is what ours look like. I just imagine all of us moving together around. Yep, that's right. And um, and largely speaking, we are. Uh, but each star has individual motions relative to the others, too. So if you imagine, like, uh, a crowd of people walking through Times Square, right? they're all trying to get to the place where the naked cowboy is performing today. <laughs> That's a real. That's a real guy, by the way. Look at that's right. If you're not familiar with him, <laughs> everybody's moving. Generally speaking, the same direction, but people are also moving uh, relative to each other too, right? Because they're jostling each other, and somebody wants to stop at the M M&M and M store on the way, and somebody else is crossing over to get a hot dog. Stars in the Milky Way are like that. So, in the same way that sometimes, when somebody is crossing. Uh, in front of you to get the hot dog, they bump into you sometimes, but you're both still going in the same direction. It's like that with stars. So our star is taking its time moving around the Milky Way once every, you know, 40 million years or so. And then another star happens to pass close by. And close by is in galactic terms. So it's still probably a fraction of a light year away, or trillions of miles. Uh, but that's close enough that its gravity could just upset a comet hanging out in our Oort cloud and nudging it enough that it starts falling in towards the inside of the solar system. And I'm guessing at relative speeds, that star, even, even though we're moving incredibly fast and that other star is moving incredibly fast, we pass each other relatively slowly. Uh, in galactic terms, yeah. So the the speed with which uh, objects move kind of on the galactic scale is really important for understanding our journey on to I Borisov, too. So one of the ways you identify an object as being interstellar is by the kind of velocity it has. So everything in our solar system, as we say, everything that's that's gravitationally bound to the sun has a certain range of speed. Okay. okay. Right. So the Earth is going around. Yeah. The Earth is going right. around the Sun. Mercury is going around the Sun. Asteroids, comets. These all have a certain range of speed. And the reason that you have that, we all have that range of speed, is that's the speeds that our Sun can control, can like hang on to. Ah, uh huh. Right. Uh-huh. So anything moving faster than that can escape our solar system. So we call that the, the escape velocity for the solar system. Right. So uh, if you measure the speed of an object like Tuai Borisov or Oumuamua, oh, sorry, if they're going a certain speed, uh, if they're going above that speed, then you immediately know they're not gravitationally bound to our solar system. They're not going to, right, right. Right. So even... Yeah, so even if we don't know where they came from or exactly what the process is, we because it's going 32 kilometers per second, we know that it's not from home. So it's 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 the inverse of the tourist in New York City who's walking slow and never going home. That's right. And you're like, forget it. They're <laughs> <laughs> never gonna make it. As prisoners on to I Borisov, whatever we did to deserve 
being punished and put on this thing. Uh, we aren't just prisoners, actually. We were we were basically excommunicated. We were sent on an escape velocity from our original solar system, or right. we escaped. Uh, that's true. Maybe this is our escape plan: is to uh, to hijack our comet um, and and head out into inter- interstellar space. Now, this may not have been the shrewdest escape plan for us. <laughs> For a couple of reasons, one of which uh, it, we're going really fast in solar system terms, but in galactic terms, still fairly slow. So um, at 32 kilometers per second, which again, I want to stress is faster than any other object in our solar system. It'll take us about 40,000 years to cross to the next star. But, you know, maybe that we, we want to lay low. Literally. <laughs> Literally want to lay low. Well, that's a good way to do it then, since everybody who sentenced us to prison will be long dead uh, by the time we, we get to our escape place. That's right. And 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 uh, we this solar system thing, our, navig- our navigator uh, is not very good. I mean, none of us are, you know, who knows what we did, but it wasn't through space navigation that we got in trouble. And so all of a sudden we're flying into this, towards this, kind of average yellow star with mm-hmm. some planets. Uh, one of the planets has these really cool rings around it that we can see, and there's like a weird blue dot out there, and I don't know. We're heading toward it. We don't know if it's inhabited. Uh, we don't know if they're friends with the people who put us in prison and are back at home. So we are literally laying low, and that is why here on Earth, they have not seen that there are prisoners living on this comet. Yeah, that's right. So one thing, the the fact that the Earthlings are taken by surprise by our visit right. suggests that at least uh, you and I are not sending out any radio signals. Right. Right, because those yeah. would have been picked up long before. Um, and in fact, we've gotten pretty darn close uh, into the solar, well into the solar system before they noticed us. So we're passing the we're just passing the orbit of the fourth planet, a little red dusty one uh, with a total population of robots on it. Oh, so the comet is already as close as Mars. Right. So that's really far in. Well, so that means it got past all of the outer planets, the whole Kuiper belt, the whole Earth cloud um, before anybody noticed it. And this is not, in some sense, this is not that surprising. So our comet, our home to Iborosov, is not very big. Um, the Earthlings aren't quite sure exactly how big, but probably a couple of kilometers across. And it's dirty because we're convicts, and why would we clean up our prison, right? Uh, so it's this little black ball, probably. And it's cold, so nothing very interesting happens on it, other than us recording our podcast. <laughs> yes. Until it gets close enough to the uh, Terran sun that Tuai Borisov starts heating up and starts reflecting some light, it's very hard to see. Now, this, right, this is going to be another problem for us. Again, I wish we had a navigator, but... Uh... <laughs> But uh, on the other hand, I don't know that we, we, we don't have any propulsion anyway. We're pretty much, once we were set off on our trajectory, we're, we're at the whims of the uh, galaxy. Also, it's important to note, I think, right, the comet, it, we are not flying in the same plane as the planets are going around 
the sun. I think we are coming from a little bit higher or lower. Uh, a little off. Yeah, that's right. When we talk about the, the there's a, a plane of the solar system, by which we mean all of the, the orbits of the planets are pretty flat relative to each other, right? And there's a couple exceptions, like Pluto, which is why one of the reasons that we don't include it in the, the basic planets. And then the Milky Way has its own plane as well, meaning most of the stars rotate in more or less the same flatness. And the and it's interesting that the plane of our solar system is not lined up with the plane of the Milky Way. Oh, Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, so that, and as far as, uh, and we're we're pretty sure that that's true for most solar systems out there. That is, everybody has their own plane. So whatever the orbital dynamics of our home system, uh, they're probably not lined up with the orbital dynamics of the Earthlings' systems. So we're going to be coming in at some weird angle, and that would be the uh, a. That's another reason that. Um, uh, it's hard to spot us, right? Because nobody's looking for it there. Right? Um, uh, and B means that we'll get a, a weird view of the solar system as we're coming through. So we didn't get, for instance, the sort of classic Hollywood journey through the solar system like you see in some movies. Yeah, where... like the opening credits of Star Trek or whatnot, right? Yeah. Oh, is that did... <laughs> Yeah, so we didn't pass... Pluto, and then Neptune, and then mm -hmm. Uranus, and then Saturn, and then Jupiter. I'm just testing my own memory that I remember all these things <laughs> in order. And then Mars. We just sort of came in, yeah, we're flying through uh, at an odd angle. And so, uh, at what point did could we tell there was life on Earth? Uh, well, that's a good question. So, even if we're not um, giving off radio signals, we can we can still be listening for radio signals, right? In which case, we would have heard um, well before we got into the solar system proper. So, we would have had some time to prepare. Yeah, we would hear. I've always wondered about this. Do we hear all the radio stations? How does that work? We have to tune uh, our, well, tune our it's, radio. It's, yeah, it's yeah. just like um, the way a normal terrestrial radio works. So depending on what you have it tuned to, you'll hear different sorts of things. So I assume we have it tuned to like NPR, right? We're listening to Absolutely. This American Life. Yes, yes, yes. Because what, what better documentation could we have of, um, of the human experience? That's right. That's right. Uh, and we're listening, we're getting the streaming one because we don't have any money to pay for the subscription to listen to back <laughs> episodes. And uh, not that we wouldn't support. I mean, look, we're, we are prisoners, but we are reformed, you know, now. That's right. We've had 40,000 years to ponder the error of our ways. And that counts for a lot, I think. Maybe we were not, maybe we were listening to public radio on our home planet and not paying for it. And that was our crime. That was it. You're out, you know. Is the comet going to go, are we going to fly past that blue planet? Um, well, in, in uh, space terms, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. So we'll get a good look at it um, uh, as we go by. The, uh, I think the, the problem is that as we're getting near it, 
our home, the comet, is going to start getting to be a strange place. All right. So for 40,000 years, as we traveled from uh, the last star we, we passed by, uh, it has been cold and dark. All right. So we've gotten used to essentially it being night all the time, right? There's no, even the closest star right. just looks like another star at this point, or it doesn't look like a, a sun. Of for, any sort. for our cold, dark prisoner souls, it's perfect. <laughs> it's good living. Yeah, and we're just living on a dirty chunk of ice. Okay? But as we start plummeting in towards uh, this new star, and we see this blue planet go by, suddenly our comet starts getting kind of hot. Right, And again, this is hot in space terms, so it's still yeah, 200 degrees below zero. Uh, but nonetheless, that's hot enough that uh, some of the, say, condensed gases on our comet start waking up and start expanding. Well, so we are suddenly experiencing a kind of a global warming yep, that's situation. Right. And that'll take the form of, say, geysers. Whoa! Right? So the ice under your feet might suddenly explode and start shooting volatile gases up into space. All right. So we got to watch out. We got to watch our step, as it were. Now, as prisoners, we probably have been shooting volatile gases into space. Depending on what they're feeding us. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, the food, you know, it's like we all are eating bar food. <laughs> all the time. Yeah, we're just, we're in the bar. It's dark. It's like 24-hour happy hour. And, uh, yeah, so suddenly the thing starts uh, blowing up. So we might have lost one or two of our fellow prisoners already. They were just ejected. Just blasted off into space, yeah. And now, interestingly, if there's any intelligent life on that blue planet, um, they might have noticed these geysers starting to, to shoot gases up. And if they were alert um, oh. and had a device called a spectroscope, they could tell what those gases were made of. Wow. So, first of all, I, let me point out there that I think one thing you are implying is that we can hear all the radio stations, we can watch all the TV stations, and that is by no means an indication that there is intelligent life on this planet. Definitely Far from not. It. Yeah. Far from Yeah, because they might just be getting, you know, Turner Network television or something, right? And that's, that's right. That's right. that's right. I mean, Ira Glass might be the only, the, like, that guy the knows what he's sign doing. sign of intelligence? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because the way he talks, it's very friendly, you know, it's like very... Soothing. soothing. Inviting to interstellar convicts. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I should say, so if if those, um, if there is intelligent life on that little blue planet, right. and they are watching for these gases, they can learn some really important things from that. So this is the first time they will have the chance to observe matter from another solar system. Whoa. So, and, and the spectroscope thing you were talking about, just real quick, is yeah. mm -hmm. that's some sort of, it makes rainbows or something. Uh, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> right. So, it takes, a spectroscope is a tool you strap onto a telescope, usually, and it breaks down the light coming from whatever you're looking at into its component colors. And it turns out that individual substances um, have distinct colors. So if you see this red line in your spectroscope, you know that there's hydrogen. And if you see this blue line in your spectroscope, you know there's cadmium and so on. So, so the alert critters on that little blue planet, if they're paying attention, will notice that one of these geysers that just erupted has a material called cyanogen in it. Ooh. 
And on one hand, they're terrified because cyanogen, um, as the name suggests, is made of cyanide, oh. which is, of course, a, a very toxic gas for them. I don't know if it bothers us. But, uh, but they're going to be excited about that cyanogen because uh, cyanogen, even though it's poisonous, is a complex organic molecule. Complex organic molecule. Aren't all molecules complex? They seem complicated to me. Oh well, yeah, but so some some are more or less exciting than others. Right. Um, so the, the the rock that you kick on your uh, way to the grocery store is a complex molecule, but it's not particularly exciting because you can't like have a conversation with it. Oh, whereas organic molecules, if you stack them just right, turn into you know cats and badgers and politicians and things. Whoa! So you can you can then have conversations with them. So cyanogen by itself is not that exciting, but it's a kind of molecule that is a precursor to life. Oh, right. And also a further sign that we probably really escaped, I think, in the nick of time, that cyanogen was probably something that was like, we were, we were probably sentenced to uh, the death penalty. And that cyanogen was meant for us, but we... This is the way they're going to execute us? We, ex- yeah. we escaped. And, uh, but now, oh no, our comet is heating up and the cyanogen is, is blowing off. Now, cliffhanger here, a momentary cliffhanger. Will the Earthlings be able to see us? How close will we be? And will they have the technology and the wherewithal uh. to see us? We haven't yet defined who, what kinds of we creatures are. we are. <laughs> we are living on this thing, and we're, well, one thing we know for sure is at least we are able to listen to radio signals, which means we might have, there's something, that might be, you know, a, give, a giveaway, who knows, who knows. So we're going to hunker down, get ready, we're getting close to that blue planet, and we're going to see if we can get by it without being seen. We're going to take a moment to talk about a very important thing that we have brought with us on this comet. And I think this is what happened. There was a heist. And ah, okay. we took this amazing thing, a whole bunch of them, with us. And we don't want the Earthlings to get them. And it is the, <laughs> the Space and Beyond subscription box. The publishers of Astronomy Magazine have just created this whole new thing. And this is really cool because we have a love for physical objects. Yeah, I think particularly in this virtual age, to get a physical box in the mail is pretty cool. A quarterly subscription box filled with five or more high-quality astronomy-themed products centered around a different space theme. You're going to get this box, you're going to open it up, boom! Oh my god, it's full of stars! (laughs) (laughs) Subscribers will receive five or more High-quality items, including a 32-page informational book in each box, unique products you won't find anywhere else, selected by the team at Astronomy Magazine. Well, that's pretty awesome. If I could have the team at Astronomy Magazine picking stuff for me. Picking stuff for you? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Fantastic. We are giving away a one-year subscription and five free first boxes. Go to spaceandbeyondbox.com slash giveaway. And deep thanks to the folks from Space and Beyond Box for uh, sponsoring this show. Yeah. Are are the Earthlings going to see us? They're going to be looking closely. 
uh, at the comet. They don't have a great track record of seeing things on the surface of comets. Um, and this actually has to do with what we were just discussing, which is that as our home heats up, it's shooting off all of these gases and debris. Uh, so what the Earthlings are going to see is actually this kind of cloudy blob heading into their solar system. So they're not actually going to be able to see the surface. It could be good for us. It could be good, for, assuming we want to hide, right? Because right. we're laying low. Exactly. So they're just going to see the the clouds. Right. If they had really been on the ball and spotted us a couple years earlier, they could have put together uh, one of their primitive spacecraft to come take a close-up look at the comet, because they have done that kind of thing before. But uh, they, like I said, they would have had to know ahead of time that we were coming. In fact, I'm, I'm a little nervous because I've been uh, Googling, which is a thing I learned you could do as we get closer. I'm, I've, I've, got a, uh, I've got one of those, uh, I've got an iPhone 4. You know, we, we, we've been in space a long 40,000 years ago. Exactly. We've been in space a long time. And it's a little bit slow. I don't know what these earthlings did. They've speeded up their internet since, uh, since I got my phone. But uh, apparently they, they bombed a comet before. Yeah, that's right. They just uh, smashed some of their uh, spacecraft right into it. Slammed it. Slammed yeah. it. Deep impact, they called it. Crazy. Look it up. So we're a little nervous that they're going to do that to us, let alone just see us. But uh, I'm guessing that uh, my interpretation of that is that they found prisoners on that deep on that uh, that comet, <laughs> and this was to prevent the prisoners from uh, coming to visit them. These humans are beasts. They're beasts. But fortunately, I should say fortunately, they didn't see us coming in time. So even if they marshaled all of their very impressive resources, uh, by which I mean not impressive at all. Uh, they would still not be able to come visit us in time. So we should be able to hide under the clouds without too much trouble. So one of the things that's going to help keep us safe from Earthling exploration is the fact that we're moving so fast relative to everything in their solar system. Right. And in particular, the Earth. Do we know how fast we're going relative to the Earth? Well, see, that depends since the, the Earth is in motion around their sun. Right. So for, uh, I'd have to check to see exactly where the Earth is in its orbit. But for part of the time, it's going to be getting away from us, and part of the time, it's going to be getting a little bit closer to us. Uh, but even so, that's we're going so fast that that's not going to help them one way or the other. Good. Um, so, they, like I said, they, they've only managed to get two objects up to uh, the escape velocity for the whole solar system. Um, it's two of their crummy little spacecraft, the Voyager 1 and 2. Ah, yes, yes. And in order to do that, they had to do this crazy thing with gravity assists and slingshot them around other planets in their solar system, and that takes a long time to do. So there's no chance that they're going to be able to do that. As prisoners, though, if we found one, we could hotwire it and turn it around and well, so this is actually a thing to ponder. Is one one thing we might want to do as convicts yeah. is to escape our prison. Yes, maybe yes. we can just hop off of uh, to Iborosov onto the blue planet Ooh. and get away. Right. Good thinking, Captain. The problem, though, is still that we're going really fast, and in the same way that it's hard for the Earthlings to get a spacecraft up to our speed, it's hard for us to get our spacecraft, assuming we built one, 
to the right speed to match with their planet. Right, so it's it's just as hard to slow something down as it is to speed something up. All right, this is, this is a, a a somewhat frustrating consequence of Newton's first law is that it's just it's it's hard both ways. Kind of our intuition would say, well, just like jump off, right? Your 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 comet's falling into the sun. Just jump off, and then you'll be fine. Um, but in fact, even if we did jump off, we'd still be going the same speed. So we would still fling around the sun and zoom out into deep space again. This is a fun image, actually, because you're right. It's not necessarily intuitive, even though I know it. Thinking about the image of it actually seems uh, uh, kind of hilarious. Also, it's like so. Imagine the Earth sitting there and the comet going by, and somebody jumps off the. They they launch <laughs> themselves off the comet. It's low gravity, right? They and they fly out into space. And they're looking at the Earth and thinking, "Oh, I'm because they're again not so bright. They're, they're going to fall. They're going to go to the Earth because they they kicked themselves in that direction." But instead, actually, you would just see that person can't uh, can't avoid m- still moving pretty much in the same speed as the comet. They would still just zoom back. <laughs> they go by. Yeah, totally un- unlike experience on Earth. Yep, that's right. And this is a, an important difference between life in space and, and life on Earth, uh, is that you'll get bizarre phenomena like that. So, they would have to achieve, do you call it, uh, so there's escape velocity, but then do they call it capture velocity? Uh, yeah, that's right. It would, be, it would be capture velocity. And that's, uh, that might be... Now that might be worth doing, right? And we've had 40,000 years to plan, so maybe we are kind of ready to go on that. But we've got to be ready to go, uh, like, right now, if so. Right. Yeah, because we're only going to be in the inner solar system for a few months, and that's not much time uh, in spacecraft terms. Right. I mean, it might take us a few months just to wake up from our nap because 40,000 years, we've got plenty of time. Assuming the sound of exploding geysers and things hasn't. That's so. true. That's true. They might have alerted and got, us, got, got the blood going. Um, it's, it's Also, by the way, it's a fun thing just to note that, for instance, in Star Trek, they would say, uh, we are in orbit. In fact, often, <laughs> just about every episode would begin with, uh, Captain, we are in orbit above the planet. Mm-hmm. But taking into account what you were just talking about, to get to that planet, they were moving it some warp speed, warp two, three, right. four, five, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so not only did they have to come out of warp speed, whatever that thing is, whatever that mode of travel is, but then slow down enough to get to the speed where that they're at when the episode begins, which is a very leisurely <laughs> <laughs> path around the planet. I mean, enormous... Like, the amount of deceleration energy they must have had is is enormous. Yeah, that's right. And this is, um, like I said, an important thing that's different about travel in space versus travel here on Earth is that here on Earth, if you just leave stuff, um, if you just leave your ship be, it will slow down and stop. But that's not true out in space. It'll just keep going the way it's going. So down here, we think of um, there, there's a default state that everything wants to get to, and that's slowing down. Uh-huh, right. But in space, everything just want to keep wants to keep doing whatever it is it's doing. 
So if you want to meet up with your buddy who's on another spacecraft, you can't both just slow down. You have to make an active effort to to match your orbits uh, with your buddy. And that's not always easy to do. It's like in those in those westerns where the cowboy would jump. He would he would want to get on to the uh, bad guy's horses or vice versa. And uh, yes. <laughs> he would ride his, he had to ride his horse faster and faster and faster, and then slower, slower, slower. He had to match the exact speed of the, of the bad guy's horse so that he could jump across, or there were two chairs, uh, also Ben-Hur. There's a lot of cinema devoted to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good analogy. I like that. And that's essentially what we're trying to do with the Earth here. We're trying to figure out a way. Uh, do we have, without any kind of engines or any kind of, propulsion we really have no way to to slow ourselves down that's right not unless we've been building something for a while yeah right and so we go around the sun is that right well in this case unlike comets that are stuck in the solar system where they literally do go around the sun and then go back out to where they came from we're not going to do that but we're going to get close to the sun and it's going to start bending our path that's right, yeah. So we will loop around the sun, but it's going to be an open-ended loop um, in a shape that's called a hyperbola. Not to be confused with hyperspace. That's right, yeah. So, and this is another way um, we can tell, uh, the Earthlings would have been able to tell that we're coming from uh, another solar system, is by the shape of our orbit. So, uh, the shape of the orbits of the planets around their star are ellipses, right? Very close to circles. And then uh, most of their comets are parabolas as well, which is a distinct shape that you can measure on the sky. So the fact that we're a hyperbola, uh, a particular trajectory, gives them the clue that we're not going to stay that we're zooming in from outer, way, way outer space, and we'll be zooming back out there again. Hey, here's something I've always wondered. So we're on the comet, and we're getting close to the sun, and then it's sort of bending our path. Do we feel like a centrifugal or centripetal? Fo- like, do we, like when you're in a car, and it starts, yeah. and it goes into a turn, especially at a high speed, you really feel it pulling you towards the outer edge of the turn. Do we feel that as we go around the sun? No, so the answer is no, actually, because we're in free fall, is the the technical term. Um, And this is actually one of the great insights that uh, Einstein had that that led to the theory of general relativity, is that you can't tell. If if you're just free falling in this way, um, you won't notice anything unusual. So under our cloud cover, everything will seem just fine. Ah, right. So, right, obviously, for instance, the astronauts on the space station don't feel a turning sensation as they go around the Earth. But this is acceleration, right? Well, it's it's acceleration due to the sun's gravity. But since we and the thing we're standing on are accelerating the same way, we don't notice anything. We'll only notice something if we, say, strap a rocket to our comet and start um, sort of artificially accelerating. Then we'll notice something. Oh, interesting. Because basically, it's complicated, right? But we are in the space-time that we are in. is actually We're actually traveling in a straight line through space-time. That's right. <laughs> Which can be a rather confusing way to think about things. Right, but right. Yes. So we don't, we don't feel anything. Is this comet going to survive passing the sun? Uh, yes, almost certainly. 
the terrain will change a little bit thanks to these geysers and outgassing and explosions and such. Uh, it'll be will be near the sun for such a short period of time, right? Just a, a few months um, that the long term damage won't be too bad. We'll get we'll get a sunburn and then it'll be done. Uh, yeah, feel good actually. Yeah. After forty thousand years, yeah. We lost a couple of buddies, you know, in the geysers here and there. And there was that one guy who thought he could jump off and get to Earth. <laughs> and we will see his body coasting through space next to us for oh. the next 40,000 years, too. So oh, we won't miss him. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's an interesting... There's a good story there. Let's get Alistair Reynolds back on the line, right? That story of the guy who had to stay. <laughs> uh, and then out we go. Our, do the Earthlings know, or do we know where we're headed next also and going backwards yeah do the earthlings know where we came from this turns out to be uh, a tricky problem for them so you uh the the way they'll try to figure that out is they'll see where we are now and they'll see the direction we're moving and as you say we'll we'll kind of they'll kind of play the the movie backwards and see what direction we're going in. The problem is that uh, they spotted us so late in our journey that they don't have very good information about where we came from. It's like they've only got a few frames of film. So the uncertainty gets very, very wide um, the further they go back. And since we've been traveling for so long, uh, that uncertainty becomes really substantial. So the best they can do is figure out uh, what constellation we came from. Oh. So they know we came from somewhere in the region of Cassiopeia, oh. but that's millions of stars. Right. That's why you say millions of stars, because thinking in New York, <laughs> the skies of New York, when I think about Cassiopeia, it's like uh, six or seven stars. Or something. <laughs> nah, yeah, it's a few more than that, right? So they can take a guess, but they'll really never figure it out. Where we're going will be a little bit easier because they can uh, they can chart our trajectory in detail now, and then plan out from there. So I don't know if we know where we're going next. Whether then they certainly don't. Yeah, for sure. And that's where we leave it. We, you know, well, I'm uh, uh, I'm looking forward to this Christmas. They call it uh, certainly has become a holiday for us. It's the one day we got kind of to go to the beach we got a sunny day yeah that's right to go out and enjoy the sun yeah, yeah for a few months which is kind of like a day or an hour in our long-term uh, journey fortunately they don't know where we came from so they can't re even if they did find us they can't report back to home and say hey you got some we found your fugitives and they can't get to us fortunately we can't get to them either but either way we're gonna be Okay. Is there anything we, is there any way they could tell, how would they tell that we were here? Um, Short of optical. Yeah, so if we're not giving off radio signals, and they don't manage to get a spacecraft to us, they might not notice that we were here at all. So there might be life on this comet, and the Earthlings don't see it. That would be really embarrassing for them, I gotta say. <laughs> right, they've been waiting all this time for interstellar visitors. They're here, 
they're virtually next door, uh, but they still didn't figure it out. But we must be leaving some kind of, even just our breathing and things like that. Can they see it a little bit? Um, it might depend on how much of it there is, right? So if we're uh, if we're breathing out, if we're if we're breathing in oxygen, uh, they might be able to see the oxygen surrounding our atmosphere. But that suggests like we've got a a garden going that's producing the oxygen for us. Uh, and if that's the case, yeah, they could they could notice that, and that they would no- they would notice that that's uh, unusual for a comet, and then perhaps make a guess. And then my guess is they will just be left with the same unfortunate thing that all their scientists are left for, left with, which is... Uh, we may have seen something, I don't know. And, and, and then the reporters are going to be hounding them. But did you see life on this planet? Yes, we think, maybe, you know. Uh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then as we get further and further away from the sun, but we're still watching their uh, television programs, there's going to be that guy with the hair, the alien's going to say, I saw aliens, aliens. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody will believe him. No because... one will believe him. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and we will be safe. Whew. That was close. The one thing we did steal was a space and beyond box. <laughs> With all kinds of amazing stuff in it, right? This is how we this is how we learned about the the Earthlings Moon. That's right. Uh, we did want to give one one last uh, shout out to um, the folks from Astronomy Magazine. Go to spaceandbeyondbox.com/giveaway by December fourteenth, and you will have a chance to win to win a one year subscription to the box or your first box free. Thank you again. Thanks. For, we're excited to have a new sponsor. Yep. Go to spaceandbeyondbox.com slash giveaway. Next week, I have no idea. I don't know. Our comet is flying out of the solar system. Uh, We're enjoying our Space and Beyond box. Beyond that, the beyond part is a little bit nerve-wracking because (laughs) I'm, I'm just relaxing from that scary close call with Earth. What the if could happen to us? Riders of the comet, riders on the storm. And as we look out, we ponder the future. The many, many ifs. All the comets and all the stars of Cassiopeia, which you can learn about in Astronomy Magazine, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> learn how to look up at the sky and see the stars. We shudder, and it forces us to scream into the exploding gases of our comet. What, what the, the if? if?